Welcome back to the Financial Coconut Podcast Network, the leading personal finance podcast network in Singapore. I'm your host, Reggie, aka Your Chief Financial Coconut, and every Thursday, you will finally get to chill with us. We will be bringing on some of the quirkiest, geekiest, leading voices in the personal finance space to give them ample time to talk about their stories, the lessons they have learned over time, and some good advice for all of us. What has aged well? What didn't do so well? Why did they do what they do? So sit back and Chill with TFC. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm only earning $3,000 a month. How am I going to give my parents allowance but at the same time save for myself? Dividend investing really came in and that really clicked. So as I built that, I will be telling my mom, mom, I don't need to give you allowance. Your allowance is here yeah. in the form of a dividend portfolio. We are back with another episode of Chills with TFC. As you can tell, we have a friend of the show, right? Not exactly new, which he's been around and all that jazz, right? So maybe for, for the for the benefit of our new audience, which we have, of course. <laughs> <laughs> on a month-to-month yeah, basis. Yeah, on a month-to-month yes. basis, right? Yes, yes. Would you like to introduce yourself? My name is Willie. I'm the writer of a financial blog called DividendTitan.com. So that's where I share my insights, my stock ideas on dividend stocks, many dividend stocks, but I've also talked about Hong Kong, I've talked about US as well. So I've been writing this blog for about three years plus now. So I started mm. during COVID um, back in 2020. I, I mean, you, you've been on the show multiple times, but I realized we didn't get you to really talk about your ideology. You know, it's always applied to a particular stock, you know, all, all that jazz, right? So we are back in studio today with Rang. You know, you want to introduce yourself just in case, you <laughs> Sure. Uh, Rakesh here from the TFC crew. Uh, do quite a bit in, in terms of financial or, you know, retirement and personal finance. Of course, I've interviewed Willie for, that was the Stock Geek Out, wasn't it? But yeah, I'd love to find out a bit more about, I think, Dividend Titan. Um, start from the top lah, for us. Yeah, like like why, why? Maybe the first question is why dividend stocks? So I started Dividend Titan in 2020 and it was during COVID. Actually, if we just rewind the clock back a bit, um, I left my corporate banking job in 2018. I wanted to do something on my own because I was really burnt out. Corporate culture wasn't really for me because I grew, you know, tough or tired of the whole idea of having a very big fixed organization. So I was a quiet worker, but I couldn't stand, you know, like all the whole idea of the restructuring of many companies. So back then there was the oil and gas crash and many clients lost a lot of money and I was pouring through, you know, endless pages of restructuring. So I left and I wanted to do something where I thought that I could really connect with. Back then, I had already saved up and invested in sort of a six-figures portfolio and it was also building a portfolio of passive income. So I had that portfolio together with my mom as well. So we combined that. It was one of the strategies where I felt that it was the most consistent and I felt that I was able to also more confidently share this idea and this strategy with people because before dividend investing, I tried different things, different strategies. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work. You can make a lot of money, but you can also lose a lot of money. So when I tell people that, right, there's no consistency. <laughs> 
Dividend investing is a bit different. Dividend investing is like, okay, I can tell you, Rakesh, if you buy this uh, uh, basket of stocks, Baotia, Baotia, so not say Baotia, right? But, not guaranteed, yeah, not guaranteed. But the beauty of it is that you can actually build something on the side and then do something else. What do I mean by this is like, as I was building this portfolio up, was saving and investing. At the same time, I could also, you know, concentrate on, let's say, my full-time job. You know, I could do mm. something else. And that was really the beauty of dividend investing because I don't have to always monitor the market. Like, say, for example, a trader. A trader has to, let's say, at night, cover US markets. You have to stay awake all the way through 3 a.m. But for dividend investing, you don't have to, right? Once you take a position, the whole idea is to just take that position and then hold it for the long term. That was uh, why I sort of started dividend investing and why I started Dividend Titan. But just want to kind of double down on the whole like feel. You, you were saying like, okay, you feel like it's more consistent. Is it just a feel or, you know, do you have numerical data to kind of back up this idea mm. that yeah. dividend investing can keep hitting, it is consistent and, you know, is a, is a reliable way to compound over an extended period of time? I started learning technical analysis, but had no idea what was that. Then I went into like what a lot of the hedge fund managers, they, they did, you know, um, they invested in what you call arbitrages, special situations. So these are kind of, kind of the strategies where you try to understand things in sort of very complex details. So you try to mm. go very deep into a particular company or you try to understand a stock in greater detail and try to sort of what you call quote unquote take advantage of the market, do like spin-offs, but it's very inconsistent. In some months you get you know, you can get, let's say, 50-60% kind of returns. Okay. But in other months or other years, you can actually lose a lot of money as well. Because if the trade doesn't go well, you know, you could be down by a lot of uh, your 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 losses or your record can actually be hit quite a fair bit. Now, for dealer investing, it was a bit different. So I started around 2015 or slightly earlier. And what mm. I did was, uh, when the market started to correct, so I still could, I could still remember in one of the first uh, time when some of the dividend stocks started to drop, I think it was somewhere about 2013. And I started to buy. So Singapore okay. Banks was one of them. Um, I remember buying DBS and I realized that, hey, when I bought it, right, back then, I soon realized that I didn't really have to sell it because I was looking at the CDP statement and I saw that income started to come in. It might be, say, 100 plus, $200. But it sort of sparked that idea that what if I own more of these stocks and I mm. accumulate this amount over time? Because it was very different when I invested, say, in a US stock and I was doing like those kind of special situations, right? You don't really get to see dividends. You know, some, some months you're doing very well, some, some are not. But dividend investing, you, when you see that, it really sparked the interest that, hey, actually, if I continue to buy these stocks and I don't sell it, right? This CDP statement actually can start to grow like bit by bit. And what was more important was I wanted to invest also for my mom. Okay. Um, and the reason why, why was because when I graduated, my dad told me that his job, you know, as we were just discussing, because um, he used to work in a creative agency, how his company got disrupted. And then a lot of the contracts started to drop. And because of that, it sparked me that oh, I needed to provide for my parents next time. But when I graduated, the thinking was, I'm only earning, let's say, $3,000 a month. Yeah. How am I going to give my parents allowance, but at the same time, save for myself, you know, for my, for my wedding, for marriage, for my house? So the idea is that I needed to build something for my mom. So instead of giving her allowance, why not create something out of nothing? And dividend okay. investing really came in. And that really clicked. 
So as I built that, I would be telling my mom, mom, I don't need to give you allowance. Your allowance is here yeah. in the form of a dividend portfolio. So I started to build that. And okay. it grew over time, you know, from 100 plus, $200, and then a few thousand dollars, then tens of thousands of dollars after that. So that's how it started growing. And dividend investing is not something where um, I'm not as lucky as other investors where they really put in, you know, their entire war chest in, say, the global financial crisis. I didn't have that luxury because it started in 2010, mm. right? And what I did was I took advantage of the smaller sell-off or the smaller corrections. So 2013, 2015, even 2020 as well. And also a series of other uh, small corrections. I remember in 2015, when it was the, the scare in interest rates, you have Trump elections, you have the US-China trade wars coming on. A lot of the dividend-related stocks, which were sensitive to interest rates, especially REITs, they got sold off. So that's where I started to also buy as well. And I told myself, I'm not going to sell. I'm just going to hold it and collect those dividends. Right. So I started sharing all this, you know, uh, during Chinese New Year, I was sharing with my aunt. <laughs> I say, hey, you know, if you want to invest, you should do this and this and this. And then I, I would tell them about my mom's portfolio and how, you know, I've sort of achieved that kind of income which she's, which she's getting. Even though it's not a lot, but it's a testament that this works. Mm. Then what your aunt say? Ayah boy, pia ko chang chang to When you gonna have the yeah. next kid, yeah. la, right? So the okay, so like any other aunt, they say okay, okay, tell me what stocks to buy, and the oh, next day they won't buy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. standard, So the thing about investing is, you know, um, people say they want to invest, but a lot of times the trick is people are just not committed. They have the desire, mm. they they want, but there's no commitment. Okay, so I guess that. And it's important when you are investing is to. Always think about, you know, do you, do you consider it as a priority? Because if you don't, then there's really no point. It's either you really give it your, your time and effort to build something which is useful for you, or you don't really just, or, you know, you can, you don't really do it. I guess the, the question I have here, right? Like, I mean, look, love to understand that thought process. And thank you so much for sort of going through what, how you got it started, right? But I think for people out there and our listeners, want to know a little bit more on there are a few things that need to sort of tick the box for dividend investing. Can you walk through like the scenario? Because you mentioned for your mom, right? Mm. You wanted effectively a cash flow, right? You didn't need so much in terms of, of growth of wealth. You needed to maintain that wealth. Mm. Is that why you looked at dividend? Is that going to be the same when it comes to you, for example, or, or any of our listeners? Like what are some key, key criteria we should be looking at? Should we want to move towards dividend investing? Wait, mm. so so you, so you're assuming that mom has already accumulated, yes, right? Yes, exactly. A That's an assumption already that we are that we are investing. So is it yeah? Is it must have lump sum? Then you invest that makes sense for dividend, right? Or you know, like some of our listeners, millennials, you know, got a lot of things to put money to. You know, got kids, got house, yeah. got everything, right? So so it's like, is this the best way, right? Yeah. Very good point here. So the assumption is you need to have some capital. Um, there are you know friends, people who are younger than us who came up to me and said, hey, I assume I'm interested to start dividend investing, right? I've read your blog and all that. So can I get started? And I'll ask them, you know, how old are you? Uh, so and so. And also how much capital to start with. And the thing about dividend investing is you need to have that capital size. So mm. what I mean by capital base or capital size, you know, for, for many dividend investors, even for myself, uh, you need to have at least about $100,000 and above to really get started. Because if it's smaller, right? Let's say if you're doing like $20,000 or $50,000, you can get started. The problem is you cannot diversify 
your portfolio well enough for dividend investing. Because dividend investing is a bit trickier in a sense where you are not looking out for big gains or huge growth from the share price itself. You are looking for steady growth. So a lot of these companies which are buying tends to be more mature, tends to be more stable. So with that regards, you want to diversify in case if one or two of these companies doesn't go well, at least you won't be losing your entire pants, right? Mm -hmm. You'll still be able to protect your wealth. So dividend investing is one way to actually build this wealth steadily over time. So when it comes to having a portfolio, I would suggest having a much larger size to begin with. If let's say if you are starting out a smaller amount, I would suggest a different strategy then. So a lot of my readers, for example, they tend to be people in already in their late 30s, their 40s, and they already have sort of saved up to a certain amount. And they say, hey, it's time for me to get started. What can I do with this amount of money? So they are not um, people who have just graduated you know, from school and they, maybe they have about $10,000 or $20,000. It's a bit more difficult to get started investing, dividend investing that way. You probably want to find other sources of income to sort of save up and then you deploy it into your portfolio and grow that over time. And then once you hit some critical mass, then you start to sort of change that strategy going forward. Gotcha. So for me, right, when I started off, right, uh, I didn't start off with dividend investing. So this is something which I have to be upfront. What I did was, you know, I started off with your growth, your special situations. So it was very tiring. So I, I did lose a lot of money, but also there, there were some pretty good gains, which allowed me to accumulate, save and invest. So towards the time where I uh, quit my job, that's where I sort of accumulated to a decent size. Um, but it was also the time where I think just one or two years before, a couple of years before, I really quit. Uh, that's where I changed that strategy into mm. a more dividend portfolio strategy. It was also the same time I also where I reorganized my mom's portfolio as well because I also tested a lot of uh, funny strategies like with her money. I'm not sure if mom wants to hear that. <laughs> yeah, Sorry, <laughs> you, uh, never mind, don't come back. Well, so I, I he carry after by it. saying he got it all back. Right? Yeah. Yeah. He did carry it. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's how I sort of transitioned that. If you ask me, I've tried all the different strategies. Uh, mm. What I can say, dividend investing so far, right? If you want something which is uh, not as intense investing, then mm. I would feel that dividend dividend investing is probably more palatable mm. and more suitable for the general masses. Okay, fair, fair. So better for retirement in that sense. Of course. I mean, if you look at how investing is, right? Number one, I mean, I'm not, I'm definitely not 60, right? I still have my black hair and <laughs> you could people die, think that I'm know, a school, like know. a school kid. <laughs> but um, what I've gathered, like even for my mom, for my parents and some of the readers of my blog, they tell me, say, Willie, I don't want to be staring at a monitor every day. Mm. You know, what I want to do is I want to travel. I want to spend time playing golf. You know, I want to travel. Investing, in fact, or looking at the markets will probably be one of the last few things they want to do. Right. And if you have that mindset, it's very difficult to say you want to, for example, trade options, trade Forex, because these are the kind of strategies where you need to be in front of the monitor almost mm. every day. I, I want to ask a little bit on the whole like diversified part because you did say like you want to get to a certain capital size before you know it, it makes sense because you can kind of diversify well right but yeah, I had a different thought process because for me it's like dividend is such a boring thing that is consistent mm -hmm. so you want good numbers your capital size must be bigger like, I never thought All of right. it from a diversification viewpoint I, maybe you can share with us a little from bit consistency would you say for, yeah. the, for, like, for dividends or yeah how would yeah, you, like, how would you like, like yeah I just want to find out what is considered well diversified mm. in a dividend portfolio. 
I don't, okay, so I don't have a fixed framework here. So I will share with you two takes on this. So number one is my personal take. The portfolio which I built uh, for the dividend portfolio. So this is mm. my money and my mom's money. And okay. I have 39 stocks as of November. 39 stocks, all diversified. The reason why I do this is because if let's say uh, some of these dividend stocks or these businesses, they don't perform well. Mm. And dividend stocks or businesses, they tend to be more mature companies. They might, you might actually risk having them to have their fundamentals change or their fundamentals deteriorated. And when that happens, right, you don't want to actually lose a big sum of that portfolio itself. And dividend investing, if you realize a lot of the returns is, most of the returns are coming from your dividends itself. It's not so much on the capital gains. So if you see, right, if you track, say for example, if you use the S&P 500 and, and you track, right, most of the returns for the dividend stocks are actually coming from the dividends and the growth in the dividends itself, not so much on the capital gains. Which means that I don't really need to punt or bet on one big stock to get me that winner. You know, I don't need to find the next Amazon or the next Meta or the next Alphabet. Okay. What I need to do is I just have to pick good businesses, decent businesses, mature, stable, and then you just build this over okay. time. Now, where the diversification comes in is like any other stocks, if you pick the wrong one, right, it's going to be devastating because let's say if your stock drops 50%, you need to find another stock which could recover 100% on that stock. To break even. But dividend investing for dividend stocks, you might not get that kind of returns, right? Because most of the, the um, returns is coming from your growth in your dividends mm. and the dividend paying itself. So that's why diversifying becomes very important for the portfolio. But if you're going to say mature mature companies that are quite stable, like what you said, you wouldn't see that much of a drop in the uh, stock price, would you? No, Lee. What would you say? <laughs> yeah, yeah what, what would you say? As in, you would, you would think that mature companies can continue would, to- At least some, no, I mean, even stable, right? Maybe still remaining at the same, so oh, it will drop a little bit, but would it drop 30% in a day? Would it drop 40% in, in two mean, weeks? there yeah. are many examples, examples in history, yeah. right? But yeah, yeah please share. Yeah. So dividend investing, like any kind of investing, there's always that risk where the companies uh, will not perform well and the growth will start to slow down or the business itself gets eroded by competition. Mm. In other words, Warren Buffett's uh, definition of economic mode is no longer there, right? And that that is definitely a risk. Uh, that's why we diversify. Now, uh, when we are looking at this kind of businesses, uh, it does happen. It, it could be a drop like what Rakesh you have mentioned, down 30% one day, down 20, 30%. And we, are, we, we have seen, uh, especially in our local stock market, for example, where big companies actually happen this way because of disruption in the market itself. There are also other businesses, stable, mature businesses have over time, you know, sort of lose its competitiveness. And you might not see that 20 to 30% drop in a day, but you might see a gradual fall yeah, in, in five the share years, price. Right? Yeah. By then mm. it's like, eh, what, what, what just happened to this thing? So it's just like a frog mm. in a boiling oh. pot. What's right? the to Tsinghua, right? It's uh, like, wow, what a translation, bro. What a translation. So that, that could happen. And, for me, because I came from a very conservative uh, background, as in my professional career was in fixed income. I was a fixed income analyst. And the number one thing to pay attention to is always the downside. Because fixed income is basically buying bonds. And bonds, you have no mm. upside. You only receive the coupons. <laughs> coupon rate, yep. yeah. One, uh, twice every year. So you want to make sure that the business, the company continues to do well. 
And I applied the concept to invest to dividend investing as well, income investing, because hmm. dividend investing, you don't really have the huge gains like growth stocks or the tech stocks in the US. But what you have is you know very steady income, which pays you over time. And you want to protect that income. So in order to protect it, you diversify. I did mention there are two points which I want to say. One is my own personal portfolio and how I diversify. The, the other one which I've read is actually by you know some academic papers. Um, I'm not sure if you guys have come across. It's about talking about how diversification helps to reduce the portfolio risk or the risk on the portfolio. So risk in this case is the up and down movement of the portfolio. And there have been studies which show that the more you diversify, the lower this up and down movement is on your portfolio. So you don't get that kind of um, heart attack when you see suddenly your portfolio is down like 20% in one day. So you don't mm. get that as long as you diversify. And the reason why is because um, different stocks, they behave differently in different markets in different periods of time. If you think about it, there are financial stocks during the global financial crisis which have been devastated but during those period, there were also stocks, your defensive stocks like industrials and some healthcare stocks, which have done pretty well. So those sort of compensate industrial healthcare stocks, compensated for the losses or the sell-off of financial stocks during the global financial crisis. Because again, right, different stocks, they behave differently. Different sectors, they perform differently. They might One sector might outperform the other, whereas another sector might underperform the other. You want to actually diversify differently across uh, different stocks, different sectors, and different countries such that your risk in this case, your definition of risk means that you don't get a lot of ups and down movements on your portfolio. So that means effectively what you're saying is make sure that when you diversify, look at the correlations of the industries. Look at the ways that if something is going up, the other part is sort of going down so that it kind of stays consistent. Is that what you're saying in terms of keeping the, the capital about the same? Exactly. If you think about it, um, in 2020, almost all the dividend stocks got sold off. You know, it crashed. Mm. Like REITs are, have done very badly. Still, still doing very badly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On the other hand, if you have invested back in 2020, some of the US blue chip stocks, right? I'm, mm. I, I'm not talking about the fancy growth stocks which you have seen. Right, if, if, if you have invested in some of the, the quality blue chip, US blue chip stocks, they have actually performed well and that compensated for the sell-off in Singapore REITs. Mm. At the same time, in 2020, Singapore banks have also done pretty well. That sector has compensated for the Singapore REITs. That's one example. Another example is 2011, the US debt crisis, where the US government were arguing whether to raise the debt ceiling or the debt limit. They still in the arguing. US. I thought, I thought they won every like three years. Every other day arguing. <laughs> so back then, yeah. there was a huge hoo-ha in the uh, US debt crisis. And what sold off was the banks, mm. the US banks, the Singapore banks, DBS, UOB, and OCBC mm. got sold off in 2011. Mm. That's where you probably want to compensate with other stocks from other sectors to balance out the what you call what experts like to say the volatility mm -hmm. right or the ups and down movements of the portfolio yeah. so diversification becomes very important this way mm -hmm. okay okay fair I, I wanted to ask a little bit on you know so do you DCA then right because based on your stories right it, it's like okay there's this time this thing got sold off I accumulate there's this time this thing got sold off I accumulate so 
in mm. in your model is there like a price to acquire you know that that you know what what people will call fair value right okay this is a fair value you you acquire at under value or do you like acquire dca over an extended period of time what's your strat mm. so dca theoretically dca means you buy every month yes dollar cost averaging huh, for, yeah. for those that don't know yes. yes yes so i don't strictly stick to it what i do is i have a watch list mm. and i pay attention to this set of watch lists that means i keep track in an Excel spreadsheet, um, individually, I manually key in all the um, the, uh, the, uh, the stocks which I which I look at, yeah. the price limits where I think it will be a fair price to pay for it in the market, what sort of uh, value which I think the stock might carry and the dividend yield of the company itself. And I'm based on this watch list to do my shopping, right? If it gets expensive, then I wouldn't touch that stock, I'll move on to another. So one common mistake which I tend to find and I also commit initially was when I see a stock which I really like, I will put all my money into that one stock, <laughs> which I did before. And I lost quite a lot of money back then. It was a US stock. Then I soon realized that that's not the way to play the game, right? So I started reading about this concept of DCA. Now DCA, it's a very generic term. Uh, oh, just put it every month. The problem is if you don't automate it, right, you will actually lose that habit of putting that money. Mm. That's just one. So what I did was I, instead I created this watch list um, and I track the price of the stock and I set alerts. Every time when it falls below a certain amount, then I buy. And each of these stock, I have sort of different, what you call tranches or different uh, baskets which I buy. So say for example, right, I might have allocated $20,000 on one particular stock. I may not put all, put all that money into to, to that one stock once I see that you know it's it's within my buy range. But what I do is I will probably out of that twenty thousand dollars, I will say okay, I'm going to just buy seven eight thousand dollars of that stock itself. Is this arbitrary? It depends on the individual stock. That's like that's a very good point. It depends on the the stock itself. Um, I would have an idea on how much position I might want to build for that stock. Mm. But typically, it's about three different tranches. Mm, or three mm. different sizing. So okay. it could be $20,000 and Split then into six, three times, yeah. you kind of So it's pretty standard in okay. that sense. So it's not really DCA because DCA means you are committed to buying that one stock every single month, mm. whether if it's the price is at a certain level, you yeah. know, if it's at a high level or a low level, you still buy. But for okay. me, I take a different approach. Okay. So this is how I build that. Yeah, so, so the question then is, is this mathematically superior to compare to DCA or is this just like operationally comfortable? You know, like where are we on this? Yeah. I have not tested this method before. I've not uh, back, back tested this, but uh, for me, it's comfortable, like what you said, mm. uh, and it suits me. Uh, I don't have to, every month I have to log in and, you know, buy it every month. Because sometimes if the stock gets too expensive, like for example, bank stocks right now, price at all time high, would I want to buy? I might not want to actually touch it, mm, mm. right? But DCA might tell you that you must buy it now. Mm. So it might not make sense. There's a dollar yeah, value average or something, yeah. like a DVA or something, all these yeah. new terms. Yeah. But yeah. So to sidetrack, DCA does help if you are buying, let's say, an index fund. So mm. the S&P 500, uh, the Hang Seng Index or the STI Index. Yeah. But if you're doing individual stock picking, what I would suggest is to have a watch list of stocks and then you commit that to that watch list itself. Mm. And then for each stock position, you just buy, let's say, you know, just split it into different uh, uh, tranches each time, you know, you want to buy. Yeah. As long as the price is within that range, you just buy it. If it's expensive, then you put it aside, you move on. 
to another stock. So that's why diversification helps because you don't just look at one small group of stocks, but you are actually looking at a much bigger library of different stocks mm. across different sectors. I guess for me, that, that brings up a, a few more questions, right? Number one, I mean, that means if you if you buy in again for whatever stock you're talking about, let's call it DBS, right? Or call it SI, I don't know what you buy. You need to rebalance your portfolio, wouldn't you? Because now your correlation is going to change. Mm. So how would you still maintain diversity with that? Like, is so that what you, you meant by trying? When you overlo- overlook yeah. on something, yeah, because, because something is cheap, cheap then so you buy, 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 then your correct. capital allocation now outsize correct. to everyone so you gotta else. you got to rebalance all of this. Do you do oh. that? The rebalancing comes, it's not as huge because don't forget, um, when it comes to diversification, for me personally, I diversify, I have about 35 to 40 stocks at any one point. So if you think about that, between 35 to, to, 35 to 40 stocks means that each stock position can be anywhere between 1% all the way to I have one seven eight percent When you're buying in that small amount, you don't really need to have a huge rebalancing. The rebalancing mm. comes only, right, let's say if you have only 10 stocks or 20 stocks, and that takes up a huge portion of your portfolio. Got it. That's when you probably need to do massive rebalancing. But in this case, if you know, you're just making steady accumulation of individual stocks, not a huge rebalancing you know, to, to look at. The rebalancing comes more from a top-down. That means not really from the individual stocks, but maybe from a sector point of view, a country point of view. So for example, my portfolio, right? I have three big different markets. Half of it is in Singapore, 20% is in the US, and the remaining is in Hong Kong. So I might actually do a country rebalancing where maybe I don't want so much in Singapore, for example, or I don't want so much in the US, or I might want more in the US today. So I might do that. I might also do a sector rebalancing meaning that um, I don't want to put in too much into a particular sector. For example, um, I used to have a large portion of my portfolio in REITs, but mm. I have actually sort of trimmed it down, not because I hate the whole sector, but because there are actually other opportunities, dividend stocks, not just in Singapore, but outside of Singapore and there are non-REITs. So that's where I sort of rebalance out of the sector into other different sectors. And of course, you know, bearing in mind that each sector also carry their own inherent risk. And that would be like a whole season of discussion on, on, <laughs> yeah. on different sectors. But I, I just want to get a bit of color on the 50-50 kind of split, like 50% Singapore, 50% abroad. Is that what you practice to kind of manage uh, Forex risk? Is that Because that is like the, the cheapest, lamest way to do it, right? that it kind of works. I don't know, is that how you do it? So for me, the, the main forex risk is the US dollar because the Hong Kong dollar is packed to the US dollar. So I invest in both US, I invest in Hong Kong. So the the bulk of the, the foreign exchange risk is coming from the US, uh, which I don't really have a big problem um, because I expect my positions in Hong Kong and US, the capital gains, the gradual capital gains, which I get would compensate for the, the FX risk or the foreign exchange risk here. So that's how gotcha. I manage it. Um, having said that, we don't really need to invest everywhere in the world. We just need to pick like two or big or two or three big markets, to be honest, and we are really good to go because the US have about, I think about six, six, seven thousand overstocks. Mm. You know, Singapore, you have about six hundred plus. Uh, Hong Kong, you have a couple of thousand uh, stocks. So that is a very good fishing ground for finding stocks for your portfolio. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So then at what price? Because you had a buy price, right? And then I, I wanted <laughs> right. to ask because like different investing styles are kind of different in the way they evaluate what is a fair price to enter into the into the portfolio. Although um, most most of them do use some common fundamentals, mm. you know, uh, but they price different growth rate, terminal growth rate, they price different, some of these other things, right? So, so just for our audience's sake, right? When we are thinking of dividend investing from your point of view, you have a buy price, right? You have a fair value price that you try to buy it at. How do you come about to this price? It's going to come across as very silly. Uh-huh. Uh, for me, I don't really have very complex models. I used to do it when I was in banking. All the um, the uh, complex financial models. Hmm. But for me, it's pretty simple. I When I look at a dividend stock, I look at two um, key, key ratios. Number one, it's the dividend yield, um, the historical dividend yield how it has traded over the last, say, 10 years. And I look at the price-to-book ratio and I compare it over the last 10 years itself. And that's pretty much about it. Because the the more important thing or the more important uh, one which I want to pay attention to is trying to find out what the business is, how the business is doing, and whether I can predictably say this business, the profits, you know, they they are predictable enough for me. So that means I always ask myself, in the next 15 years, right, Will anything change about this business? Will this business be still around? It's more important than trying to figure out the exact price point which I want to buy, which mm. you know can be something which people tend to focus about. You know, they, they call it valuations, and they'll always ask me, "Hey, where's the lowest? Has it reached the bottom? Uh, can it go lower some more?" My thinking is a lot like the late Charlie Munger. He said that it's impossible to figure out where the bottom is, but he knows that as long as I don't overpay for it and I buy somewhere within a range near the bottom, I think I'm generally okay. safe. And I sort mm. of carry that that philosophy into my own investing, meaning okay. that I try not to get too hung up over the valuations. Just pay attention to one or two simple ratios. And then I try to figure out, okay, when is a good, good price? So a good way is I look at a particular stock. If the dividend yield right now is trading at much higher than the average dividend yield it has been traded mm. over the last 10 years, then I think that that's where the share price would be interesting enough for me to sort of buy. So it's not very much complicated. I just based on how the market has traded their dividend yield over the say the last 10 years and anyway it's so much easier to get all this data everywhere yeah. on the internet business. yeah i was just thinking probably his his screeners got two sets of the the two main things right price to book and you yeah. you ratios <laughs> that's his actual that's shit his, that's his yeah. top line top line right <laughs> so you you set those things then got alert coming say oh okay then let us th- take a look yeah. at these things right that's your that's your first tier of screening and then you try to evaluate the fundamentals of the business as long as yeah. it sounds stays intact you know continue to make money does not look like there's a big risk factor then that's to cool. you that's a fair business to own as exactly. a dividend investor at the end of the day okay the- end of story guys thank you <laughs> <laughs> Dividend investing, at the end of the day, it's really, so it's really trying to understand where the bulk of my time is spent on, right? It's not trying to think about like the exact right price Mm. to actually pay. But where my focus is, right, on the contrary, is trying to figure out the business itself. 
So as a dividend investor, I try to think more like a business owner, like exactly like how any other investors you might have spoken to, any long-term investors who are pro Warren Buffett in, in the idea of value investing. It's, it's always thinking about runs. the business itself. And that's one of the hardest thing to do uh, because it's number one, businesses are very fluid. There is no uh, one same business which can be replicated elsewhere. So say for example, right? If you talk about Coca-Cola, that's one of Warren Buffett's favorites. That particular business has no other replica in the whole world because Coca-Cola is just Coca-Cola. You might study as much about Coca-Cola, but you might not find that same kind of, exact same kind of companies elsewhere. And that's very mm. important because if you think about that for a bit, you will tend to want to pay closer attention to individual companies or individual business which you're buying. So you won't, you will take each assessment of a company more seriously. And then, and then you kind of build up from there, right? Essentially different yeah. sectors. Over time, you learn about it. Okay, mm. just go and read that whole like annual report thing, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's hundreds of pages. Just go and read it. You will get a good idea of what the hell this business is doing, right? Generally, that's why I tell you, if you cannot complete yeah. one, don't tell me about investing, okay? Yeah. Just yeah. complete one first. You'll get, a, you'll get a decent idea, you know? And if, they, if you don't understand what they're saying, oh, you can ping us. We try to answer for you, right? <laughs> so that is good. But, but you were talking about variance when it comes to the use, Right. Mm. So, so, uh, and and this is a thing. I I receive questions like that. Right. So, is this too, is this yield too high? Right. It's so mm. common because when the yields are high, right, it's a good sign that the market is selling it down, right, quite badly. So, like, what what is the what is what at what point is this yield variance interesting? Right. So, let's say it usually trades at a a, a dividend yield of like. 8%, right? At what point is it become like, hey, this is interesting? And at what point become like, hey, this is dangerous? You know, like, like where is this variance that, mm. that you are looking at? So I wouldn't focus too much on the yield itself. Mm. So like the common uh, saying is that, oh, if it's a high dividend yield stock, it's a value trap. It's dangerous. Ignore it. There is some truth to it because there are a lot of weak companies. He just said to ignore, then he said got truth. Yeah, yeah, got truth. <laughs> no, no, no. Let, let the guy okay. talk. Let the guy talk. When you're looking at these high dividend yield stocks, right? The reason why some of them, they might be high dividend yield, probably because they have, number one, a huge dividend payout for the last year. Mm. So that's something where you might think it's not sustainable at all. So that's something which you probably want to be more careful. And I would ignore these kind of companies because... After that one-off big payoff, like this big special dividends, which happened uh, for many commodity companies back in 2022, uh, just a couple of years, right? Okay. They, they have a huge payout after COVID. And then after that, they started to cut the dividends because of the special dividends. So if you look at the yield itself, it looks very attractive. But I wouldn't touch them, right? Just, just because there's a one-off uh, special dividend payout. Now, the, the other one, which a lot of people, they tend to actually look at or tend to focus at is the, the high dividend yield where it's really like it is, it could be a potential trap. That's where I want to actually dig a little bit deeper, where I want to see whether these companies they are able to actually pay this dividends sustainably. So, number one, whether their dividends continue to grow or cut. More often than not, some of these high dividend yielding companies, uh, they the reason why they have a high dividend yield is because a lot of the company, the, the company itself might not be doing well, the profits have been dropping. As a result, the dividend yield starts to get cut. But when the market sees this, they will sell off the share price much faster than the dividend yields get cut. That's why you have a very high dividend yield. Okay. So that's where the okay. trap comes in. Does it mean that I will ignore this basket of stocks entirely? Not really, because there are also businesses within this high dividend yield category where they are still you know, producing good revenues, good mm. profits. 
and they have either sustained their dividend payout or they have been growing this over time. So there are companies like this, not many in Singapore, uh, but what I found is in other, other parts, for example, in Hong Kong, right? There, there are big companies which have very good, which sells good products, good services, which have been growing their revenues, their profits, but also paying good dividends. So mm. one of them is, you know, it's a toy company, which they have been selling in Singapore and also across the world as well. DRU, when I picked that particular stock, was about 11 12%. And it has been pretty steady. So if you look at such high dividend, dividend use stocks, how you typically want to play this, right, is you don't focus too much on the capital growth or the capital gains. Because one year itself, you can get back 11 12%. So you, yeah. you just focus on, number one, whether they're able to maintain that business, Number two, whether they're able to actually continue to maintain that dividend payout, that, that distribution payout from the company itself. And that's all that, that is to it because for such companies, you don't need to get the returns from the share price appreciation. You just get it from the dividends itself. Yeah. I just want to add to that, right? I think, I think uh, the, and the good thing about those things is that if the company can pay out consistently, and then maybe for one or two reasons, because of for whatever reason, political reason, you know, you know, currency fluctuation, whatever thing, it, it caused that 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 kind of sudden yield increase, right? But if it can sustain the market, reprice it, the yield comes down, but it's okay. You're you already price locked in in, in the when when it was much cheaper, right? So so it really doesn't affect you as much by then, right? And then you should kind of expect that, right? The, the yield should kind of come back down. It, it cannot be like the yield stays very high for a prolonged period, right? You, you know what I'm mm. saying? If the company is actually good, the yield should come down and you should be happy that it kind of kind of taper off into a so-called healthier space. That means the market set generally think, okay, like, it's all okay already, no problem. <laughs> you know, that life kind of moves on. Is that kind of what we expect? You, you can actually look at it that way as well. Mm. Although I must also say that there are very high dividend yield stocks. Maybe that they might not actually see the share price go back up. It might just be stable for a very long time. So that really depends. When you pick this kind of stocks, it depends on your portfolio then. Are you looking for a portfolio where you want to extract income from the portfolio itself and capital gains don't re really matter too much. Mm. So if that's the case, then this kind of dividend stocks might be very ideal because if you are looking for a portfolio where you want to have a good income which you can extract the money from, try buying US stocks and you might not get anything much out of it because number one, you have the 30% withholding tax. Mm. Number two, US stocks don't pay you very good dividends. So you might enjoy the capital gains, but not a lot of people want that because they might want that consistency in a dividend payout while maintaining the value of the portfolio. So in this case, higher yielding dividend stocks might actually be a good fit for such portfolios. You might not get good capital growth from a dividend yielding stocks. And like what Reggie has pointed out, yeah. you, know, it, you might not see that recovery, huge recovery or huge jump in that capital gains, thereby the dividend you drop. But in compensation, you might just get, you know, every year, that dividend you locked in, you know, eight, nine percent. One of the stocks which I mentioned to you, 11, 12 percent, yeah. which I think is great, you know, if you want that kind of um, income for your portfolio. One, one question I have like, any advice to our, to our listeners, right, who fit in this criteria where they have effectively the hen and they don't want to take, they don't want to eat the, the chicken, they want to eat the eggs, is effectively maybe an analogy that I have now clearly tried to do, but, you know, maybe not a very good analogy, but. <laughs> Uh, effectively, you want hey, to eat, eat the chicken. Don't want to eat the chicken and kill the chicken. Uh, uh. Right, you want to eat the egg, sorry. So, but at the same time, they want to make sure that 
their capital that they've invested in in these stocks are kind of like inflation proof. So like a dollar today is worth a dollar tomorrow for them uh-huh. while still trying to gain some sort of eggs. Luck. How would you approach that? How, what would you think? Like, what was your thinking behind this? So that's what, that's the common narrative, right? Which I've been saying that you want to have a portfolio to be able to beat inflation. Mm. That's important. And that's something which I also subscribe to. More important is- See, correct. Uh, okay, okay, correct. correct, correct, correct. <laughs> more important is to think about your expenses more more so than trying to figure out, oh, inflation is going to increase by 3%, 5% every year. I would think about, okay, how much money do I need? Let's say 15, 20 years from now. And then I try to walk backwards to build that portfolio to meet that income need. I feel that that's mm. probably an easier way to do it because sometimes if we just focus, okay, the portfolio must be able to beat inflation. Let's say inflation is 3% means that my portfolio must do at least 5 6%. You can actually think that way. Although I feel that an easier way to do it is first to think about, okay, how much do I need for my lifestyle? Say, you know, when I retire and then I think about building back backwards, how much capital do I need to grow this uh, uh, portfolio so that it can sustain that lifestyle in the future? So essentially, you don't want to put that burden on the portfolio. You just want to yeah. kind of adjust it based on like your expenses and then just kind of work from there in terms of building an income to meet that. So your income grow can already. It's not about the portfolio capital need to grow at a level. Is that kind of what I'm hearing? Exactly. Okay. And that's, that's really the essence of dividend investing. A lot of times people go into dividend investing without a goal or without a plan. That means they go in and say, okay, I want to make money and I want to make as much. I want to get Bro, dividends. it's not unique to dividend investing. Every investing, everything. More so important for dividend investing because dividend investing, you know, you don't really get that huge boost in capital gains. So it's important. Many of the more experienced income investors, which I've known over the years, how they do it is they will try to match um, their portfolio with whatever um, expenses or their lifestyle is. Then they will, they will build the, their portfolio according to it. And what do I mean by this is that sometimes some stocks might be suitable for your portfolio, some might not be. For example, a high-yielding stock might not be suitable maybe for someone who is much younger because mm. that person doesn't need that income straight away. So let's say, for example, uh, when I started out investing, I wouldn't be looking at these high dividend yielding stocks because number one, my capital base is much smaller. I don't, and number two, I don't need the income straight away. So high yielding dividend stocks wouldn't be suitable for me. However, as the years go by and as I manage um, the money with my mom, she has stopped working and she needs the income. So in this case, a growth stock might not be as suitable as, for example, a high-yielding dividend stock because what she needs is the income. Yeah. So I would actually pick these dividend stocks based on the profile or my current uh, lifestyle and the strategy which I'm using for this portfolio. Okay, mm. okay. Question, okay. Question then is, do you reinvest that dividend? Right, because because I mean, the, of course, one way you want the company to reinvest the dividend, then those are growth stocks, right? Essentially, right? Yeah, they they yeah. they have the income. They don't they they make the profits. It does not come out as dividend. They reinvest in the business and they grow from there. Mm. So those are like fast growth company, or maybe they are not very fast, but they're trying to grow, right? So they <laughs> so they do that, right? they, yeah, yeah, the company they reinvest internally. Sure. You know, you know, it, it is part and parcel of a of a company. Mm. But then when when companies get into a relatively matured stage, like 
like the the kind of ones that that dividend investors tend to like or tend to want to get, you know, including a REIT, right? Because that means the capital of the the price of the building is not really gonna move much already. So in order to offload from the developers' balance sheet, right, they pass it onto a REIT vehicle and then they capital recycle and build new things, right? Mm. So that is kind of how how it works. So either way, once you enter this whole dividend game, right, a lot of these things are matured. You know, so you you don't expect much capital growth, but there's dividend that comes out, lah, right? So mm. so that people kind of stay around. But then do you reinvest that dividend? Like, or do you just take it as as well, money to spend? You know, like how do you how do you kind of practice this? For my portfolio, which I do with my mom, um, it has always been reinvesting those dividends. It's only in recent, I think for the last year, where I started to actually pay out that income to her because okay. that's where because she has retired and that's where she, she needs, needs that, that income so her sources of income is from her CPF which she's, she's going to unlock very soon her savings this is important <laughs> because dividend investing right is really about safety most of the people who tend to build these portfolios are, are sort of in at a stage where they have accumulated savings and the risk of them losing is actually very high because trying to get it back is very different from say a 20 plus year old trying to rebuild their capital is much easier as compared to say someone in their 50s or even 60s. Mm. So it's important to preserve that capital itself. So again, diversification is important. Um, but what's, what's important is to really protect that value of the portfolio. When, when we talk about extracting that income, right? Initially it was reinvesting it to grow it. But now it's, it's more of like trying to take that money out and also sustain her lifestyle here. I don't try to do anything crazy with the portfolio. Uh, it has to be stable. Is there a withdrawal rate that you're going with when it comes to this? You know, the 4% withdrawal rate, <laughs> right? That's the, that's the idea, right? 4% and then your portfolio was kind of stay yeah. forever. I mean, there's yeah. some mathematical proof to that like, based on historical data. So, yeah. I, so I haven't really come up with a, a formula, mathematical but, formula. Yeah. Okay, so okay. I'll just start off with, okay, withdrawing it a few hundred dollars every month. So that's the start. And mm. then I'll sort of stress test it as the years go by to increase it after a while and see how how much can push in terms of uh, taking the income out and passing it to her. Fair. Yeah. Essentially what Willie is saying, follow my blog. Mm. <laughs> subscribe. Yeah, subscribe so you will kind of know where this goes. Hopefully you get new insights as you go along. Well, I, I, I can always give, you know, what, people are saying out there mm, you know I can always mm. give what the academics or professors yeah, like talk mean, about which everyone can get uh, the, yeah, the yeah, stuff yeah, out yeah, but yeah. Yes. I think what, what I really like to share is how how I sort of build this up and Love how I do it Please. Um, you know it might not be the best way to like it might not be the perfect way right but at least this is one way it works right mm. and if you try to do it you know with let's say with some effort right you can actually reach some some form of decency or some form of level here no no and and to be fair right um i think a lot of these kind of like modeling they model without the human involved right, right. so it's a math model right and great or math model always go start as young as possible buy insurance now do everything <laughs> when you when you you know when you are as young as possible right yeah. but but the reality is once you apply it to the individual there's this thing called bandwidth right there's this thing called time you know there's so many yeah. other elements of an of a real life that you life need gets to, in the way, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, same with economic model, Cetrus Paribus, but it's not Cetrus Paribus, right? So That's a very good point you raised, mm. Raji. If you talk about withdrawal rates, right, people can come up with a number, you know, 4%, 5%. But how many people can actually stick to these numbers religiously? Mm. And like what Rakesh say, things get in the way, right? You have sudden expenses. You have sudden medical bills you have to pay. What's going to happen to this withdrawal rate? It's, it's going to throw you off track. 
So I won't stick to so so strictly to the exact formula, you know, or oh, this percentage, how much I need. I would instead see what's the lifestyle I have right now and I will adjust it according to plan. And I think that's the beauty of investing because it's very different, right, from one 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 person's strategy to another person's strategy. What's interesting is that today we are able to actually see the different kind of strategies which everyone is using and then try to learn and get ourselves sort of inspired by how we can actually take some of people's different people's ideas and incorporate it into our own. I think that's mm. probably what's more practical for me. Thanks for thanks for sharing. I think you went through quite a bit, right? But there's there's a I'm sure there's a lot more in terms of how you how you go about deciding some of these stocks. I mean, you can go much much deeper. So people should check out you know your your blog, right? So check out Dividend Titan, you know. But uh, in closing, maybe you can just kind of sum up, right? Like what is a Dividend Titan and what are you gonna do, you know, with your platform going mm. forward? Because I I know you got new new things, new things plans, coming. Yes. Plans. So um for Dividend. Titan, I started the name because I had, I couldn't think of any other better names, to be honest. So the whole idea of the blog is to write about ideas where I can find good dividend payers, right? Or good dividend dominators, which I sort of classify it uh, myself in my watch list. But I couldn't think of a better name back then, right? So it's really about trying to find some of these uh, stocks, which might not necessarily be of a big, large market cap, but they are they they have the abundance in paying that dividends. So that means their profits are able to pay you good dividends, regardless of you know how big they are or how small they are. As long as I they are, they are able to actually grow or sustain that that dividends, um, I classify them as a dividend titan. And that's how that blog came about. Got you. So my plans for my blog next year, well, I want to definitely grow that, that, that blog itself and Try to you know document more of ideas not just in Singapore. I'm hoping to actually uh, write more about in Asia, for example, and also try to share more about my own personal journey. Um, I realized that my blog has always been talking about the market, the stock ideas, but I'm, I also want to share a bit more about uh, what I do as an investor. Okay, so thank you for your time, you know, and for our listeners, please check out Dividend Titan, and you know, I can come on our show more. We can talk about your ideas and all that jazz. Okay. Yeah, mm. for sure. Yeah, definitely yeah, would yeah. love to come. And thank you for inviting me onto the show. Yeah, and uh, now now he's a celebrity. Your money FM all say yeah. like Artas <laughs> all right. So Lola. so good stuff. When are we going on your show? Well, oh oh. <laughs> anytime, guys. Okay. As long as as long as you guys are open to talk about the markets, more than happy to invite you on. Nice, nice. Done. Okay, so we're plan, we plan, uh, 2024. Okay. <laughs> Make sure you guys come with a stock idea. Okay, 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 okay. <laughs> okay. We'll do that. We'll do that. Thank you, thank you for your time. Thank you, guys. See ya. Thanks, guys. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.